Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santhi Esteban, and I am your host for today. And we're here with Martin Liu. He's the CEO at Comtrex, and they specialize in logistics. They specialize in supply chain, freight, transport, which to some of you may not seem like your industry, but we're gonna talk about building and scaling a business. And what I do know is that there is a ton of insights and a ton of transferable value that can be gained from any industry. So in any case, Martin, thanks for hanging out and spending some time with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Hector. Looking forward to it. So give us the backstory. Tell us how you got into this field. Take us back as far back as you think is relevant, and then let us know a little bit more about what Comtrex is doing today. I usually don't go this far back, but I think maybe this would be valuable for those entrepreneurs out there. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, grew up in Southern California, and um, saw my family build a, a business. And you know, there was from everything from restaurants to dry cleaners to all small businesses across the Southern California area. So I grew up in an environment where I knew at some point I wanted to start a business and went to college in LA, went to SC, and then went to law school thinking I was going to be a securities lawyer. And then quickly through law school, I was like, I'm not a lawyer. This isn't for me. I started my very first business when I was in college and came up with an idea for a software app, built that and really just raised a small little round of capital, tried to get that going. And unfortunately, didn't wasn't able to have it flourish. So um, then decided to go to law school. And then post-law school, I knew that at some point I want to start a business. But before I started a business, the advice I was given by a lot of my mentors was go out and go cut your teeth in the corporate world a little bit, just to build up a little bit of experience outside of just building companies. So I went to go work for Bear Stearns on the trading desk, the commodity trading desk here in Houston. And then JP Morgan bought Bear in March of 08. And then I ended up leading origination for the coal, so physical coal and uh, environmental markets trading desk. And the way I came up with the idea was coal of all the products that move by rail across North America, coal moves by far and away more volume than any other product, more than chemicals, oil, grain, anything else. And so we were moving several million tons a year. And there were a lot of inefficiencies that I saw in the rail industry business, in particular, very limited visibility into capacity, very little bit of visibility into rates, and then very limited connectivity. I wasn't from the railroad industry. I was in the banking industry and the trader to be able to find and identify who to work with at specific companies and the railroads, the leasing companies, the translators. And I thought back then the primary sort of basis of my the investment thesis when I started this business was there was this big generational change that was going to happen. So you're having effectively all these baby boomers that were retiring and you had millennials, Gen Z and Gen Y coming to these seats. And I knew at some point in 2020, 50% of the workforce would be millennials. And by 2025, it was 75%. Every industry across the world was going to be changed because of this global workforce paradigm shift. And so at the time, I knew at some point, someone's going to create this virtual railroad or is going to create this ecosystem that connects the demand side, which are the shippers and the supply side. And I said, why not me? Why couldn't I be the guy that goes out, takes this vision and brings this 180-year-old-plus industry, the railroad industry, into the modern world and create a digital platform that allows for people to connect virtually? There's a a couple of things I want to go back to. I would love to to get into you dealing with your first, that first app that didn't work, right? It could have been very easy for you to hang it up, for you to... Even what do you take from that experience that was there anything that you said, well, we're not going to do that or we're going to do it differently this way? Or perhaps it was, well, this did work. So we're going to carry this into this new part. Is there anything that you look back on that kind of carried through to what you're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really insightful question. The first two or three things that I would think were called components of any business that I knew I was going to start in the future were number one, it was everything was about the team and the people. You know, at the time, 
I was going at it alone, but I knew that I needed the best technology person to build the software. So I was at USC. So I went to Caltech, walked on the campus, walked on and knocked on a bunch of doors and tried to pitch these professors at the Center for Advanced Computational Research, CACR, which is, you know, this is Caltech where folks are building the next generation of space and aeronautical students, businesses. And then here I am knocking on the door trying to get a, a professor to build the software for me. And I knew, though, the very first person that I brought on technology wise had to be the best in class person, because that was the person who is going to be the foundation for the technology and also who's going to be the face for the software. So that tenet of people and having the best people was something that's always stuck with me. And I've done that ever since. Number two is mentors and advisors. I wouldn't have been able to succeed without some of the mentors slash angel investors that, that came in at the time and were very successful in their respective industries. And I was meeting with them at least once or twice a week, if it was just for a coffee or a phone call. I always knew that if you're going to be successful, you have to create this circle of trust. And the circle of trust had to include people who knew finance and business, technology, people who knew how to build a company, people who knew just the basic ins and outs of starting a business. And so that would be the second tenet is surround yourself with really smart people and try to find the best and most successful people in the respective disciplines that will help your business. So team, mentors, and the third thing, and this is an intangible that you can't teach somebody, but just never give up. You have to always keep fighting and never give up because you never know in the 11th hour when you think your business is not going to work out, when you think that you're not going to able to get that client or close that round of capital, you never know when that deal is going to happen. And I think entrepreneurship is a game of attrition. At the end of the day, the people who win are the people who survive the longest. And that, that 94, 95% sort of failure rate a lot of those people that, that have failed, if they would have just kept going that extra five yards or 10 yards or that extra sort of two or three months, that extra two or three months could have been that sort of time frame that gave them that breakthrough to be able to get to the other side from the darkness to the light to be able to have a successful business. But tenacity and, and grit and just belief in yourself that no matter what happens, you just can't give up until you reach success. Yeah, it's really, I think, important for listeners to hear that those setbacks, failures, challenges, whatever we want to call them, they are not the ending, right? That they do have some sort of benefit, if you will, in the long term, right? On a long enough time span. So now let's let's fast forward. And now you see this opportunity for a marketplace or take us into what you see, because you're not necessarily from the logistics. It's not like you came up in the logistics space. You, you didn't have family in the shipping or the freight, or maybe you did. I don't know. But take us to now how you were looking at the problem, if you will, and then how you started to approach engineering and creating some of these solutions. This is probably no different than a lot of the people that are listening to the audience. There are a lot of ideas that you're constantly having throughout life, right? And the thing that I think is most important when thinking about entrepreneurship, it's just an inherent or a natural curiosity on why things are the way they are. And when I was in the, the on the trading desk at JP Morgan, and I was getting frustrated at why it took so long to piece together deals or why it takes so long to get a freight rate or a leasing rate. Why was it so difficult to be able to find a transit facility that can move my freight onto, onto ocean-going vessel? My own personal sort of curiosity was, why isn't there a better way to do this? Why is this so difficult? I'm sitting at one of the largest banks in the world and I'm having trouble. So if I'm having trouble, think about all the other shippers out there that are moving freight that probably experience the exact same issue that do not have a massive global bank behind them to leverage those resources. So that was the first thing is this was a problem that I knew was pervasive. 
And it was an industry that was critical to the fabric of the economy, right? There's only two ways to move things by land. It's truck or rail. And rail is the cheapest per ton mile once you get past 600 miles. I knew it was a massive problem. And for me, if I'm going to spend time on something, it had to be a big enough problem to where if it was going to succeed, it was going to move the needle and make a material difference. And at the end of the day, when you think about starting a business, obviously everyone wants to make money and monetize a business and be able to not have to work once you exit. But you can't have money be the main primary driver or factor in why you start a business. You have to have something greater because money is something that is intangible and it will come and go. But for me, that intangible was making an impact on the industry and leaving a mark on something that was much greater than me. And at the time, I saw the railroad industry as this industry that's been around for a long time. And you know, no one's really tried to digitize it and bring it all into the 21st century. And for me, at the time, I, I said to myself, I live in this what I call a regret minimization framework. So when I'm 65 years old, I'm sitting on my porch and I'm looking back at my life and I say, what would I wish I would have done versus what I did do? It's always the things that you regret or the things that you didn't do that you regret most. And that regret minimization framework for me was something that was a very critical part in deciding to take the leap from the corporate world to this was I don't want to have any regrets because I know there's no question someone's going to create a virtual platform that's going to connect the supply and demand side. It's going to happen. It's not a question of what's going to happen. It's going to happen. So my perspective was I'm a shipper. I know what it's like to be able to be on the side. I know the frustration. So I know the problem firsthand. I know exactly the, the different sort of components of the industry that need to be fixed. I wasn't a technologist. I didn't have a computer engineering background, but I did know how to build teams. So I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, this is the time to do it because in, it was a 2015-2016 timeframe. You were still at a time where the cloud was still sort of developing and technology was still sort of getting out there as far as marketplaces, but it really didn't hit the B2B side of the business. So at the time, I said to myself, if this is going to happen, this is the time to do it now. And I gave myself checkpoints. I gave myself two to three years to be able to hit certain milestones. And I told myself, if I didn't hit these milestones, then I would probably go back to work. But every step along the way, I gave myself milestones. It wasn't this infinite goal. And whether it happens or not, I'm just going to keep going. That's not how things work. You have to have checkpoints to make sure that you're on the right path. And for me at the time, um, it was an industry that I knew was going to eventually be changed by technology. And at the time, I was hearing a lot of shippers and talking to a lot of shippers that had the same issue. And the, probably the biggest thing that, again, and I mentioned this was the thesis for my business, is I hired a consultant team into seven of the largest rail shippers in the Houston, Texas area. And I went to all of them and I asked them, what do you think about this marketplace idea? Would you use this software? 100% across the board, everyone said, no, they would never use my platform. We would never use your marketplace. And I said, why wouldn't you use your marketplace? Oh, I know everybody. I've been doing this for 20 years. I know the lessors, the railroads. I know all the players and they come visit me all the time. And then my follow-up question would be, respectfully, when are you retiring? All seven of them said, within the next three to five years, we're retiring. Okay. And then I said, what is your succession plan? Across the board, no one had a succession plan. That's not my problem. That's the company's problem. And so right there, I knew that I struck a core. I knew that there was something there because you have all these people with this industry knowledge and this wisdom, and there's no centralized data or repository, electronic repository to store all this information. And the real industry is never going to go away. It's just not. So somebody has to be able to take this information repository and create a way to connect all the dots. And because the largest shippers in Houston I talked to said that they were not thinking about what's going to happen post-retirement or when they leave, I knew that there was this wide open gap that was there for someone to come in and create that system. And the other data point that I juxtaposed with that was 
the average amount of time a millennial stays in a job is two to three years. Average amount of time a Gen Xer stays in a job is six to seven years. And a baby boomer is eight to nine years. So if you believe those stats are true, right, you're never going to see a 15 to 20 year logistics fleet manager at one job. So that's a very transitory position. And if that's transitory, you know, all the more reason why you need an electronic repository or database to collect all this information and connect the dots. Yeah. This has been such an insightful conversation. When we get back from break, I want to talk about the phases of your business and organization. You talked about building a team. You talked about creating a marketplace. And, a, and I'm curious how the evolution of it may have evolved over time. And so we're going to get into that right when we get back from break. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media, and we are a podcast and content production company. Well, we like to think of ourselves as genius makers or creators, because chances are, if you're listening to this, you have some sort of passion or purpose, a mission, a message, something that you want to get out to the world, but you probably don't have the time, the team, or the tech skills to be able to do it. We can come in and help. Go to AmplifyMedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y Media.com. You can also check the show notes for info. And with that, let's get back to today's episode. So Martin, when you look back on your business or you look back on the time, were there stages that were either defined? You talked about these milestones. Maybe they did fit into something that you were being intentional with, but I find that there's that old adage that what gets you to what gets you to here is not going to get you to there or insert whatever number that you want. But were there stages or phases of the business or the organization in terms of kind of inflection points or times where there was a transition that happened? I would say every six months to 10 months, there was that transition phase. There was a pivot. When you think about entrepreneurship, it's not a straight line. I'm in Houston, Texas, and I know, I think I'm just using a metaphor. I know that I need to go to the Northeast, right? I don't know if I need to go to New York, Boston, Connecticut, but I know that the promised land is in the Northeast, right? And is it taking uh, the, what freeway, what highway, what's the route, right? There's so many different routes to get to the Northeast, right? So in, in the translation to that to entrepreneurship is you're constantly tacking, it's sailing, you're tacking back and forth. And whatever you think the business is from the get-go, I almost say 99% sure it, that will not be the business that you'll be successful on. What you have to do as an entrepreneur is you have to be flexible. You have to stick to your core values as far as, and I don't want to be cliche because I hear this all the time. You have to stick to your core values as to what started, what you started the business to do and what the core premise of what that, what the purpose of what you're trying to do is change. And for me, that tenant was, I want to create a virtual platform that's going to connect the supply and demand side in the road industry, right? So I knew that was the North Star. So that's the North Star. Everything around that, not sure how to get there, but that's the North Star that no matter what decision I made, that was always the guiding light for me. Is this going to help improve and connect the supply and demand side? So yes, so every six to 10 months, we would build technology, we build function features. And this is why software is so hard to, such a hard business to start and was why so many fail is because you have to create a product roadmap that's six to 12 months out and you have to allocate resources to things that you think are going to work or functions and features that you think are going to be applicable or usable, but they may not be. And have we built things that people didn't use and there were flops and we spent months building? Absolutely have. But the game of entrepreneurship isn't about counting the wins and losses. The game of entrepreneurship is always building just enough to get you going to the next checkpoint. And we were always building things that were just material or just instrumental enough to keep that ecosystem and to keep the velocity spinning and keep the growth of the marketplace growing. And the whole time of this business, I knew that, yeah, technology is important, 
But so much of the business, and this is no different than any other business, so much of the business is relationship driven and having to figure out exactly who are the key people, individuals, who are the key champions or sponsors in the industry that needed to support what I was doing. Because no one's going to do this alone and you have to do it together. And you need people that are going to help be those guideposts along the way to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. So for me, every six to 10 months, we're always reevaluating what milestones we're hitting. And yeah, were there times where I was like, why isn't this working? Why can't I monetize this business? Absolutely all the time. But I knew that so long as I was moving the needle and so long as the supply and demand side were coming on and shippers were seeing value on this, I just kept going and I would not give up. It's a great insight into, like you said, not giving up, right? Having a North Star and finding some sort of solution. Were there examples or instances where you thought it was supposed to look this way? Maybe you can just give a more specific example of something that you thought was going to work really well that didn't, or something that you didn't think was a big deal that ended up being a big deal. Were there any things that surprised you, both good or bad? Absolutely. The most, probably the thing that stands out the most, when we started this business, the very first marketplace we built was for leasing. To, to lease and sublease rail cars. And that was the really the initial idea was, I am a shipper, I need to lease cars from for six months to 10 months. And why should I just have to go to less source to do it? Why couldn't I go to other shippers that are long capacity that don't need the cars for six months? I'll get a better rate. I'm helping to balance and create some equilibrium in the supply demand capacity for rail cars. And I thought that was an absolute no brainer. I'm like, what a great idea to start. So that's where I started. And to this day, the leasing marketplace is the hardest part of our entire business. And that is still to this day, it's the hardest part of the business that we've had the most difficulty getting traction in. And at the time when we were getting it off the ground, I just thought, well, oh, it'll, it'll, time will fix it. Just keep going, keep building, time will fix it. But at some point in that journey for the leasing marketplace, it wasn't getting the velocity. It wasn't getting all the traction I thought it was. And then we shifted to storage and we said in a bull market, when things are going great, people need to lease cars. But in a bear market, on the other side of that, people need to store cars because they're not moving product. So about a year and a half into the leasing marketplace, the traction was very slow. The ball wasn't moving as fast as I thought it would. So then I went to the other side of the equation and said, okay, maybe the cars are working out, but maybe storage will work out because people need to find these desolate locations across the country to park their rail cars when things are moving in a, in, in a bear market. And had I given up on leasing and say, hey, that first run of capital I raised, leasing didn't work out and folded shop, Comptricks wouldn't be here today. But what I thought about when I was at that conjunction where I was like, why isn't leasing working? I didn't think of it as a detriment or a hindrance. I thought of it as a building block and said, I built this first building block. I got shippers. I have lessors. I have a brand that I'm starting to build. Instead of continuing down this path, why don't I use this as a stepping stone to now go in and move into the other side of the business? Because now when I go to storage, I can tell people, hey, we have a leasing marketplace. You should use us because shippers use our leasing marketplace. And I leverage the leasing marketplace to be able to build that next building block. And then we built, went from stores to building a purchase marketplace to buy and sell rail cars. And then I use that as another building block to build a transit marketplace. It was Something that I didn't anticipate at the very beginning, it was the, th that the thing that I thought was the most obvious part of the business, actually, at the end of the day, even to today, is actually the most non-obvious and the hardest part of the business. Yeah. Such great insight about leveraging it as a stepping stone, right? I know that I've had those instances where we, I just scrapped it. No, I just 
that was a you live and you learn thing as opposed to learning and leveraging maybe might be a better way to go about it martin if people want to get more connected with you or find out what you guys are doing where's the best place to go if you go to my linkedin if you want to find me on linkedin you can go to my twitter lew underscore m-a-r-t-i-n but those are probably the two best ways to connect with me is either through linkedin or through twitter cool i would encourage all you listeners to go out and get connected if you made it this far i appreciate you we would also appreciate a rating a review wherever you get your podcasts if you know someone who is scaling a business in the midst of that or thinking about starting one send them this episode and then go out and get connected with martin and if you obviously if you are in the logistics and the shipping space well that's a no-brainer maybe you already know who he is <laughs> thanks all of you guys for being part of the tribe we appreciate you as always we'll see you on the next one later y'all appreciate it.